That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is a personal statement by the First Minister. And today marks the final contribution in this chamber of Nicola Sturgeon, MSP, as First Minister, our longest-serving First Minister and the first woman to hold the post. And on behalf of the Parliament, I thank the First Minister for her service. I thank John Swinney, MSP, the Deputy First Minister, for his service too. They have both been in government since 2007, and I wish them well for the future. I now call on Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer, and uh, thank you uh, for your kind words. I, I'm sure I, I speak on behalf of the Deputy First Minister in expressing that gratitude. Uh, I have uh, indeed just concluded my 286th uh, and final session of First Minister's Questions. And this is the final statement I will make in this chamber as First Minister. Uh, no matter what I do in future, nothing, absolutely nothing, will come close to the experience of the past 3,046 days. Being First Minister of the country I love has been a profound honour. I have led Scotland through good times, but also through the toughest period of our recent history. Exactly three years ago today, I stood at a podium in St Andrew's House and I asked the country to stay at home. My thoughts today and always are with those who lost loved ones to COVID, with those who live still with long COVID, with our young people who lost out on so many of the normal experiences of growing up, and with everyone who endured the trauma of separation and loneliness. COVID shaped all of us. I know that it changed me, and in many ways, it defined my time as First Minister. Above all, it reinforced in me an abiding admiration for the people of this wonderful country who made such painful sacrifices to keep each other safe. In the toughest of times, our country showed the best of itself with love, care and solidarity. And that will live with me forever. Being First Minister has been variously, often all at once, challenging, exhilarating and exhausting. But every single day, without exception, it has been an utter privilege. I have set out already my reasons for stepping down now. I won't repeat them today. Suffice to say, I know in my heart that this is the right time. After more than 35 years in politics, 24 years in this parliament, 16 years in government, and more than eight years as first minister, it is time for Nicola Sturgeon, the politician, to make a bit of space for Nicola Sturgeon, the person. It's time for me to contribute in a different capacity to the causes I care so deeply about. Gender equality, care experienced young people, climate justice, and always, until the job is done, winning Scottish independence. And no matter how difficult change may be, I know also that it is right for my party, the government and our country that I now make way for a new generation of leadership. I have made my fair share of mistakes in the past eight years and of course there are things I wish I had done better or differently. But overall and overwhelmingly I am proud of what has been achieved. The doubling of early years education and childcare, the Scottish child payment widening access to higher education with a record number of young people 
from backgrounds like mine now going to university. Minimum unit pricing, a policy that is saving lives. A publicly owned, mission-driven national investment bank and putting the climate emergency at the heart of all we do. Just a few of the many policies that I believe will have a lasting impact on our country. As the first woman to hold this office, advancing gender equality has also been very close to my heart. My cabinet has always been gender balanced. This parliament legislated for free period products and strengthened the law on domestic abuse. Unless tangibly perhaps, but just as important, no girl in our country now has any doubt that a woman can hold the highest office in the land. I heard a phrase the other day that really struck a chord with me. When women lift, girls rise. I've tried as First Minister to put that into practice and I will continue to do so for the rest of my life. Presiding officer, there are countless people who have supported me along the way. Today I want to say a heartfelt thank you to just some of them. Firstly, to my family. Nothing, absolutely nothing would be possible without the love and support you give me daily. To my extended family, the SNP, the party I joined at 16 when on a good day we would hit 12% in the opinion polls. We've come such a long way together as a team. Let us keep going, serving Scotland together as a team. To my colleagues here in Holyrood, in SNP parliamentary groups past and present, and to the central office staff who support us. To all of my ministerial colleagues over the years, and especially to John Swinney, the best deputy first minister and the best friend I could have wished for on this journey. To our staff in Party HQ who have built a formidable campaign operation, enabling us to win 14 national elections since 2007. To all those who have worked in my constituency office, in particular to my current team, Paul Leinster, Caroline Scott, Mary Hunter, Carolyn McConville, Irfan Rabani, and Nikita Bassi. You have had my back throughout, and you work tirelessly every single day to help me represent the people of Glasgow Southside. And to my constituency party and to my constituents, thank you so much for putting your trust in me time and again. To my special advisors, you have given your all to me and to the cause of building a better country. You have been led by two outstanding Chiefs of Staff, Liz Lloyd and Colin McAllister. To our partners in the Scottish Green Party, I am very proud of the Butte House Agreement. Thank you for joining us in government. And to our brilliant civil service, Scotland is so fortunate in the integrity, impartiality and professionalism of our civil servants and I am privileged to have been served by some of the very best. I thank each and every one. But let me make special mention of those who have served in my policy unit and in my FMQ team. The latter, especially on Wednesday evenings and Thursday mornings, really do have the worst job in government. For the avoidance of doubt, presiding officer, the good answers have always been down to them. The bad have been all me. Finally, I want to thank from the bottom of my heart, three groups of people who, because of the nature of the jobs they do, have probably spent more time with me over these years than with their families. At least I'm sure that is how it has felt. So to my security team, 
Thank you for keeping me safe. To the wonderful Butte House staff, thank you for always making me feel at home. And to every private secretary, diary secretary, correspondence secretary, to the visits and events team, to the communications and camera teams, to everyone in my private office who has supported me over 16 years in government, thank you for keeping me going. Obviously, I can't name everyone uh, much as I'd love to, but there are a few I do want to mention. My longest-serving Principal Private Secretary, John Summers, and the current incumbent, Chris Mackey. And last but not least, three very special people who individually and collectively have been with me for almost all of my time as First Minister. Three people who were the core of my team during COVID, coming into the office while others stayed at home to give me the support I needed to do my job. Nicola Dove, Patrick Crowler and Gary McGee. You three will never know how much your care, kindness and humour have sustained me over these years and I am so going to miss you. Planning officer, as I come to the end of my last speech here as First Minister, some final reflections. To you, I am sure you're hoping for a new First Minister whose answers on a Thursday lunchtime are not quite as long-winded as mine. Thank you for your patience. To my colleagues across this chamber, robust debate and holding government to account are the hallmarks of what we do in here. That is as it should be. And let me thank those in other parties for that. But maybe, just maybe, we might actually enhance our democracy if occasionally we, all of us, treated each other with kindness too if we remembered that we are opponents, not enemies. And to my successor, next week we will find out whose portrait will go alongside mine on the stairwell of Butte House. Subject to this chamber's approval, it will either be Scotland's second female First Minister or the first from a minority ethnic background. Either way, that will send the very powerful message that this, the highest office in the land, is one that any young person in Scotland can aspire to. Never forget that every day in this office is an opportunity to make something better for someone somewhere in Scotland. Do not shy away from the big challenges or difficult debates. You won't get everything right, but it is always better to aim high and fall short than not try at all. And always draw strength, energy and wisdom from the people of this wonderful country. And it is now to the people of Scotland, all of you, whether you voted for me or not, that I reserve my final words from this seat. Thank you so much for placing your trust in me. Words will never adequately convey the gratitude and the awe I hold in my heart for the opportunity I have had to serve as your First Minister. It truly has been the privilege of my lifetime. And with these words, presiding officer, I draw it to a close.
Thank you. That concludes the statement by the First Minister. I will now call on other members to respond, and I call on Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. And while I believe the First Minister and I see each other as adversaries rather than allies, and, and probably the final session of FMQs reiterated uh, that impression, uh, let me add a little balance in my final remarks to Nicola Sturgeon uh, as First Minister. When Nicola Sturgeon leaves office, she will bring to a close a political career in this chamber that few, if many, can or will match in its length. 24 years of service to her constituents so far, 16 years as a government minister and over eight years as first minister. Indeed, since 1999, she has been a permanent fixture in this parliament and on her party's front bench. In these times of political turbulence, that is staying power eh, that many of us could only ever wish for. She has been a formidable campaigner, as her political opponents over the years can unanimously eh, agree on. And no one can deny that Nicola Sturgeon has left, for better or worse, a mark on our country. We have all lived through the Sturgeon era of Scottish politics, eh, and that era is now coming to an end. And nowhere will that change be felt more keenly than within the ranks of her own party. But returning to the government role and as First Minister, for Nicola Sturgeon and her predecessors and successors, it remains the rarest of honours. And even rarer still for what Nicola Sturgeon described herself as a working class girl from Ayrshire. I recognise the positive message it sends that in Scotland, every child should have the ability to reach the heights that they dream of. And you know what, signing officer, sometimes dreams do come true. I stand here in this chamber as the only recent politician to beat Nicola Sturgeon. I won the bet. The bet I had <laughs> with Nicola Sturgeon made back in 2021, £100, uh, and I won that. Just for the record, I have to say that I'm still awaiting payment, uh, and, 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 and it is perhaps one final example of delays from Nicola Sturgeon's government. <laughs> but I mean it in all sincerity uh, that the exchanges that we have, uh, you know, have been uh, sometimes uh, difficult, always robust, um, and we seek to do better in our politics. And I think the message the First Minister had can be listened uh, by everyone in this chamber. And the First Minister has also spoken of the additional responsibility uh, that she has had, and she said this in the past, to help every woman and girl in our country fulfil their own potential. And I think that as the first woman holder of her office, she has been a role model that women and girls can aspire to in Scotland today. These are all achievements for which the First Minister should be rightly proud. Yet while the First Minister is a talented politician, those talents have not always been used to the best of their ability in government. I'm not going to use this session to labour over the arguments that we've had on this side of the chamber time and time again. I simply say this, that on her first day in office, Nicola Sturgeon promised to be the First Minister for all of Scotland, regardless of your politics or your point of view. But for some, too often she used her position to further her party's political objectives rather than bring the country together and govern in all of Scotland's interests. However, I accept that holding the high office is a great uh, burden, 
and honour. And I think it is right that on this day of all days, we acknowledge the difficult responsibilities that the COVID pandemic placed upon those in power. And along with the First Minister and others, I put on record our thoughts on this side of the chamber for everyone who sadly lost their lives and those who continue to uh, mourn the loss of loved ones. As I said earlier, it's no secret that the First Minister and I uh, are not best friends, and I'm sure she won't miss our weekly FMQ exchanges as she watches on from the back benches. In my time as Leader of the Opposition, I've asked Nicola Sturgeon 256 questions. Uh, once or twice, I've even got uh, an answer. But away from this chamber, I know that political leadership also takes a personal toll on those who attain the highest office. And it takes a toll on those closest to them as well. I think we could all see uh, that the thanks that the First Minister gave to her family uh, and her staff were difficult for her to articulate, uh, but are keenly felt. There will have been countless times that the First Minister will not have been able to have been there for her family and her friends as she put the demands of leadership first. So I hope that in standing down, the First Minister will be able to take comfort from having more time for family, friends and, of course, her passion, reading. So on behalf of this side of the Chamber, while we have passionately disagreed with Nicola Sturgeon over the years and no doubt will continue to do so into the future, we wish her well as she leaves the office of First Minister and forever the future holds for her. Thank you. I now call on Anna Sarwar. Thank you, President Officer. Today is a significant moment in Scottish politics. It, of course, has personal significance for Nicola Sturgeon, but it's also significant for our politics, as Scotland prepares to face a new era and a twin crisis of the NHS crisis and the cost of living crisis. And I'd like to start by placing on record my respect and recognition for Nicola Sturgeon's more than 20 years of public service. I first met Nicola Sturgeon when I was a teenager, and that's not meant as a disparaging comment, it's a compliment. And it's safe to say that both of us have grown up and changed a lot uh, since then. Uh, regardless of our many differences, even our harshest critics would accept that Nicola Sturgeon is an able and formidable politician who has stood at the forefront of Scottish politics for more than 15 years. And while we have disagreed passionately about what is best for the people, I have never for a moment doubted her love for Scotland. And seeing the first woman elected as First Minister, an achievement, presiding officer, that cannot be understated, was an important moment for our country. It was a sign to women and girls, regardless of their politics, that there should be no limit to their ambition, that there was no position, no office in the land that they couldn't aspire to, and there was nothing that they should not be able to achieve. Now, I'm sure many people will point towards our more robust exchanges at First Minister's questions, but on many occasions, Nicola Sturgeon and I, and I have attempted to build consensus, particularly in calling out and challenging the rising levels of prejudice and hate in society. And I think this is in part driven by our deep connection with the south side of Glasgow, something that the First Minister herself referenced, the most diverse part of Scotland. And I know how much celebrating the rich diversity in our communities means uh, to her. I would even challenge perhaps maybe she's worn traditional Asian dress more often than I have uh, in my lifetime. Uh, now, there are many things that we can disagree and divide on, but there is one issue which I believe should always unite every political party in this parliament, and that is the fight against prejudice and hate. Uh, in her resignation statement last month, Nicola Sturgeon spoke about the personal toll that politics takes. 
And I often reflect on how much our politics has changed, how much more divisive it has become, how intolerant it can often be. And the challenge, I think, for all of us is how we build a politics that, of course, allows for strong disagreement, passionate debate, robust arguments, but that never descends into hatred. Because far too often, particularly online, our politics does descend into that hatred. But, President Officer, it is not by the praise or the criticism of her opponents that any First Minister will be judged. It will be their record. And as First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon led our country through challenging times, most obviously during the pandemic. And I think she's right. I think that is what will define her time. And I recognise the immense pressure and the toll many of the decisions taken in those difficult years will have taken. And at a time of uncertainty and anxiety, she attempted to provide stability and reassurance to people across this country at the darkest moments. Now, presenting officer, I think it's fair to say that during our many robust debates with one another, I've learned some of Nicola Sturgeon's tells. Um, when her grasp of the detail perhaps might on occasion escape her uh, or, in say, or in, uh, isn't on her side, she is obviously quick to point to her electoral record. We've heard it again today. Uh, eight election wins. Of course, undoubtedly a political achievement to be proud of, a legacy that no one can deny, and of course many of us can be jealous uh, of. Uh, but she is right. Winning is important. Uh, winning does matter. And that's why it also matters that leaders of whichever political party, what they do with that power when they do win and how they govern. And I think it's also safe to say that never in the history of devolution has there been a First Minister with so much power, so much time and so much political capital. But despite that, we all know there is still so much more to do. Because, Presiding Officer, the promise of devolution does remain unfulfilled. Child poverty is still too high. NHS waiting lists are still too long. Our public services are struggling and our economy does need to be restarted. And we must now urgently confront those challenges and that must be this place's focus. So in closing, I am sure this government will feel her absence from the front benches. Perhaps no one, no one as keenly as, our successor, as her successor. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon leaves a government and a party shaped in her image. It will not find a replacement like her. I and my entire party wish her the very best for whatever she chooses to do in the future. Thank you. I now call on Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I'm privileged to be able to offer a few comments from the Scottish Green Party at this, uh, this moment. And I, over the last wee while, I've heard both the First Minister and the Deputy First Minister reflect on how they might have felt back in their early days as teenage activists if they had known the role that they would go on to play in uh, providing the role of leaders of government for Scotland. But my first memory of meeting Nicola Sturgeon years before I stood for Parliament myself was when she was providing opposition, not government. And I'm sure there were times when opposition meant saying no, but in the first year of this new Scottish Parliament with the rights and equality of a marginalised group on the line, Nicola Sturgeon recognised that when the government does the right thing, the role of opposition involves being constructive. And in the, uh, the, the law most often called Section 28, it was a nasty homophobic hangover of the 1980s. And in the first debate about repealing that law, 
Nicola Sturgeon said Section 28 is plainly and simply about discrimination. It is about singling out one section of the population and labelling it as unacceptable. Now, she was not the only politician saying so. But what she did helped to ensure that that issue was not seen as government versus opposition and that rival parties with serious disagreements could work between them to find the common ground and work together for the good of the country. Now, I've agreed and disagreed with Nicola Sturgeon on issues over the years since then, but in recent months, she has shown that same commitment to stand by another vulnerable group in our society, while so many in politics and in the media were dredging up the tropes and prejudice of past decades and redirecting them against transgender people. So I can still see today what I remember from those days. Nicola Sturgeon's commitment to be an ally to marginalised people remains part of her character as a politician. Now, as I say, I didn't know at that time that I would go on to join the Scottish Parliament or indeed that I would have the chance to sit with Nicola Sturgeon on the advisory board of the Yes Scotland campaign for Scottish independence or even that I would share the stage uh, with her at the Glasgow Hydro of all places, even if we did have to share the bell with a, a certain Mr George Galloway. I certainly couldn't have imagined that she and John Swinney would pick up the phone and offer to negotiate an agreement which would bring the Greens into government for the first time in this country's history, advancing action on climate justice and progressive values, and in doing so, infuriating right-wingers, vested interests, polluting industries, and even one or two of their own backbenchers. <laughs> so I also see today what I remember from earlier days, that Nicola Sturgeon sees the value in politicians and political parties recognising their differences, but seeking common ground and finding ways to work together for the good of the country. Presiding officer, on this day of national reflection, we all share the sentiment Nicola Sturgeon expressed a few minutes ago. And as for the things that her time as First Minister will be remembered for outside of the political bubble, I think for most people it will be her leadership during a pandemic that changed all of our lives. At the start, as we were just coming to terms with what the world was facing, some governments around the world chose bluff and bluster, pretending they knew the answers or offering false simplicity in place of the complex truth. Nicola Sturgeon made a braver choice to be clear about what wasn't known and to express the same fears and uncertainty that we all felt. Throughout the pandemic, she not only fronted up the Scottish Government response on an almost daily basis, but she did so with honesty, clarity and humility. And by doing that, she earned the public trust. So, Presiding Officer, whatever the future brings, uh, I thank both Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney for their service to Scotland. I wish them very well, and my highest hope for them is that they continue to find ways to infuriate all the right people. Thank you. I now call on Alex Cole Hamilton. Thank you very much indeed, Presiding Officer. Um, Presiding Officer, those of us who seek a life in public service must deal with events and times as we find them, not as we would wish them to be. Regardless of what circumstance throws our way, it is incumbent on all of us to commit to the task before us to seek the best 
for our communities and in so doing try always to reflect the better natures of the people that we seek to serve. As the first woman to achieve this office of First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon has provided inspiration to the women and girls that will doubtless follow her to this, the highest office in the land. She has been Scotland's First Minister through some of the darkest hours in our modern history. I think it is important to recognise her tireless and substantial commitment to the office that she has held for longer than anybody else. And that tireless commitment was no more evident than in those, the worst days of the pandemic, a time of unprecedented anxiety for our country when she offered a voice of calm to people stuck at home. She will be aware of the times that she has walked in step with my party when she adopted our policies on things like childcare and the pupil premium. She will recognise the times that when we have voted with her, sometimes against the prevailing wind, on the physical punishment of children, on alcohol pricing, on advancing the rights of Scotland's LGBT plus community. She has acknowledged some historic wrongs as well, like yesterday, for the victims of forced adoption. She knows my background and as such, I will always appreciate her dedication, her continuing dedication to young Scots currently in the care of this state or who have experience of the Scottish care system. Presiding officer, good and bad, this chamber will debate her legacy long after her departure. The first minister and I are very different people. Our visions of the future of Scotland and of the United Kingdom just do not align. But I recognise hard work when I see it. I am also grateful for the kindness that she has done me personally on occasion. Indeed, the words of comfort she once offered me in private conversation when my daughter was hospitalised are something I will not forget. The sands of politics, the Scottish politics, are now shifting in big and unpredictable ways. This is a moment. It is a crossroads, a chance to do things differently, and people are now looking for inspiration. People are looking for new hope. Presiding officer, I'd like to finish by thanking Nicola Sturgeon and indeed her deputy, John Swinney, for both of their service to our country, and I wish them well with whatever comes next. Thank you. Thank you. I now call on Emma Roddick. Thank you, Presiding Officer. It is truly an honour to be speaking today on the resignation of the First Minister, though it is a decision that I and I think the country are still uh, needing to come to terms with. Uh, when the First Minister became the First Minister, I was 17, and I was in the audience at Eden Court where she came to speak to voters and activists about her plans for Scotland. And I'm going to come back to that moment later, but for now I'm going to reflect on that plan for Scotland, because that plan is what brought us the baby box. It's what brought us the Scottish child payment, the promise, all emblematic of the progressive values that the First Minister not only brought to the fore of the SNP, but brought so many into the SNP on the back of. Now, Stop the World, Scotland Wants to Get On is rightfully a very famous campaign line of Winnie Ewing's, but Nicola Sturgeon didn't wait for independence to bring it to life. She has been an ambassador for Scotland, and that will serve us well when her successors deliver independence. She's also always stayed true to herself, and as a young survivor of sexual assault, this is the first minister I watched stand up, not just when it was easy or abstract, but when it was difficult, and say women deserve justice. And I think we can also look at how she's spent the last few weeks in her role. 
when people can't accuse her of, of it being about keeping her position next time or, or winning applause. She has tackled misogyny. She has delivered a very moving apology for historic adoption practices and, of course, spent time with the care-experienced young people of Scotland, to whom she was the first to say the state does not just owe them a home, we owe them our love. And at a time that we were so isolated, so separate, Nicola Sturgeon was trusted, invited and welcomed into millions of living rooms across the country. Now, the last time I was allowed to visit my mother um, was before the last lockdown, the lockdown that she caught COVID in. And we sat in her garden and she told me all about what Nicola had said to her that morning, talking about the First Minister of Scotland, like this was someone from down the road who'd popped in for a coffee. And that's the kind of connection that Nicola Sturgeon has made with people the length and breadth of this country. Which brings me on to the second part of her legacy, because it's not just the policies that she put in place, it is the people she lifted as she climbed. The women that she mentored, inspired, empowered, the people that she told, their passion, their voluntary work, their opinions are politically valuable. They'd been disenfranchised and she brought them in and gave them a voice and they are all a part of her legacy. And that includes me, because that day in Eden Court, I got to sit in the front row and ask the First Minister what she was going to do to make sure that more women and girls would enter politics in future. And it's a, a question that's been thoroughly answered since. Um, but I remember her specific reply to me, because she said, well, Emma, I would like to see more young women, Emma, making their voice heard, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> And those words led me here, and I think that will be the same for other women in this place, both now and in the future, because I see little girls dressing up as Nicola Sturgeon for World Book Day. <laughs> and I think the First Minister has very safely achieved the goal that she set out in her statement earlier. She has lifted, and girls across Scotland are rising to meet her. And as one of those girls, I am confident that she will continue to inspire, no matter what she does next. Now, Presiding Officer, this has been a, a personal contribution, um, but as I speak on behalf of the SNP today, I know that we all want to thank her for her service, her selflessness and her dignity as First Minister. And I'm going to end just by saying I've read quite a few books on the, the back of First Minister's recommendations, um, and I cannot wait to read the books that Nicola Sturgeon is going to write. Thank you. Thank you. And I call on Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I am going to be uh, brief, firstly, because I know everybody wants to go and have lunch. Uh, but secondly, I'm not sure uh, that I can uh, go much further without uh, crying. Uh, so just to say from me uh, to colleagues across this chamber, thank you uh, for your generous comments. Uh, they mean a great deal to me um, and I deeply appreciate them. Uh, to Emma, uh, Emma, I remember that exchange uh, really well. And I cannot tell you how proud I am of you uh, that you now sit in this parliament making such a positive contribution and who knows may one day stand here at this place in our parliament thank you uh, for that contribution uh, 
Um, Emma's is one of probably thousands of interactions I've had with girls and young women across these eight years of my time as First Minister. And if I have encouraged even just a few of them to believe more in themselves and to stand a bit taller, then I will be very happy uh, because that means a great deal to me. Uh, more generally, presiding officer, uh, to lead this country is the pinnacle of what this uh, shy, uh, introverted, uh, that's still the case, not just when I was a, a young girl, but what this shy, introverted, working class girl from Ayrshire could ever have dreamed uh, of. And this country is truly amazing. And the people who live in this country, uh, no matter where they came from, are also amazing. As I've travelled uh, overseas as First Minister, and that has been an enormous privilege, I have had the opportunity uh, to see uh, just how much Scotland punches above her weight. And I have seen directly the respect that we are held in by people right across the globe. Perhaps all we need to do now here at home is believe a bit more in ourselves. Now, even although I know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that the time is right for me to go, uh, I do feel emotional today. And perhaps the reason for that is that I know beyond doubt that even if I live to be 100 years old, there is no phase in my life that will be as special or as meaningful to me as these last eight years have been. Uh, you will, of course, see me very soon on a backbench near here. But in the meantime, presiding officer, for the final time from me as First Minister to the people of Scotland, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege of being your First Minister. Thank you. It is now time to move on to the next item of business, which is a member's business debate in the name of Pauline McNeill. And there will be a short suspension to allow those leaving the chamber and public gallery to do so before the debate begins.